health and fitness with David Hollywood. Finland's 103. Hello and welcome to this week's health and fitness. Coming up on the show, we're asking a question. What is it in good food that makes food good? The director of the Nat Nutrition Research Centre in Ireland is on health and fitness to answer the question. As the less organised of us scramble to get Christmas presents sorted, we'll get some ideas together for you that might help you buy for the fitness fanatic. And you'll learn about the Christmas celebration and solidarity expressed through the Offaly Hospice Mile. Now, earlier in the week, if you were following uh, Midlands 103's news bulletins, uh, you will have heard that uh, Leisha's Francie Gorman, the Ballinock Hill farmer, has been elected as the new president of the Irish Farmers Association. He was in conversation with Will Faulkner and he mentioned something that took my interest. He said... Uh, Irish food should be considered a health product and should be packaged in that way, especially moving forward, considering uh, the pressure that farmers are under in this country, environmental terms, commercial terms, whatever way you want to look at it. It did get me thinking, though, about just how important is the food that we eat to our general health? I've enlisted uh, the assistance of the director of the Nutrition Research Centre in Ireland, uh, SETU's Professor John Nolan. Uh, John, thanks very much for taking our call on health and fitness this evening. It's a pleasure. I'm very happy to join you and have the conversation. Let's start by speaking in general terms, maybe. Um, How important is what we eat to our overall health and how healthy then do you think our diet is? It's a really important question and, and there's many layers to the answer and you know you've heard the expression uh, you are what you eat and it's a, it's, a, it's a very nice expression because there's a lot of meaning to it. Um, a couple of pieces I suppose in the first instance um, you know should, should food be looked at in terms of um, what it does for health and the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, f- for me food and the food that we consume and micronutrients that are active and working within foods um, are essential, actually, if we are to have any impact on supporting function as we age. So we celebrate aging. You know, the Irish population is growing. It's aging, as is the world population. And that's a celebration, of course, but it's actually a major challenge. And the reason why it's a major challenge is we're living longer, but we're all getting sick mm-hmm. and we're losing our functions. So. For me, um, a modifiable factor in that is food and the type of food that we eat, but it's not without its challenges. And the reason why it's not without its challenges is if we take, for example, the area that I studied, the area of um, plant nutrition, which we look at these nutrients called carotenoids, which are basically the pigments that are in food that give the plants its color, but they have very powerful antioxidant properties. So when we eat these foods, so when you eat, for example, uh, peppers or spinach or egg yolk, anything that has natural colour in it, you're consuming carotenoids. And they're, re- they're remarkably important for us throughout our life because they go to target tissue. So in our case, we're interested in the eye and we're interested in the brain. So when you eat these foods, they go into your stomach. You, you take the energy you need from those foods, but there's micronutrients within those foods and they get transferred via our blood system to various tissues across the body. Mm. And the point is, if we don't have enough of these particular carotenoid micronutrients, you're going to have issues related to your vision, the, the health of your eye, how good your vision is, but ultimately even linked to whether we get blinding conditions or diseases like dementia because of a deficiency in nutrition. So 
you know, nutrition is medicine when it's used correctly. But uh, there's a lot to say about that. Okay. There, there's something you mentioned there and uh, you had a good expression that we are what we eat and we all know that and mm. understand that. Another one that we've probably heard when we listen to nutritionists like yourself uh, speak is that uh, when it comes to basic recommendations, it's about having plenty of colour on your plate and yeah. you've mm. kind of given us the real granular detail as to yeah. why that is then. Yeah, it's because of these carotenoids. Um, let me be a little provocative for a second and I'll say okay. a general recommendation of oh, eat healthy and have colour on your plate, it's kind of useless to the general person in society. Mm. So when I say that sometimes, um, my colleagues and medical doctors think, is, is, is Professor Nolan saying that we don't need to eat healthy? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when we talk about the good foods, like the plant-based foods particularly, they're good for a reason. And the reason is because they contain these carotenoid pigments. But then the question is, are the foods we're consuming produced in a way that they contain enough of these carotenoid pigments? Or are there challenges relating to how uh, food is produced? So you take carrots, for example. You know, we've, you know, over a thousand potential varieties of carrots that could exist. I think we've narrowed it down to five or six that are actually used. And that's because of commercial purposes. You need to select the ones that are going to grow best. Um, The point is we're, we're selecting certain crop types and we're making it easy for plants to grow. We need to do that to provide food for society, for people to have food. So, I'm, you know, there's some fantastic farming. I'm not criticizing the, the wonderful farming that happens because we need to do that to produce high quality crops. But what, what's happening in the plant is very interesting with respect to carotenoids, because if you make it easy for a plant to grow, the plant underproduces the carotenoids. So therefore it underproduces the, the goodness that's in the plant. Okay. Because the, the plant doesn't care about the human, it cares about the plant. And the reason why the carotenoids grow in the plant in the first place is to help the plant survive and grow in environments that may be difficult. Um, so we use, we use, for example, in our research, we do a lot of work with marigold flowers and, and extracting the carotenoids from the marigold flowers. These are actually from Mexico where they're grown in kind of high sun environments, so in very high stressful environments. And they produce in that situation lots of carotenoids. So the carotenoids we look at are, they're known as lutein, zeaxanthin and mesozeaxanthin. So your listeners won't remember those name, carotenoid names, but there are certain types of carotenoids that are doing specific things within our body. And that's where the innovation in terms of eye research has, has really developed over the last two decades. We've identified the exact carotenoids that are located, concentrated in the eye. They're basically giving the eye that kind of internal sunscreen effect, which is crucially important, not just as we get older, throughout our life. From the, from the second we're born, when you look at colostrum, when a mother feeds her baby, hmm. that first few days of, of milk is highly colourful. That's carotenoids again. So nature straight away is trying to provide these wonderful nutrients. But we have this devolution of carotenoids and other micronutrients in plants because of, of, of that. So I just listened to your introduction. You made reference to someone saying that we should treat food as health. I think we should. Hmm. And I actually think I agree with that. And I think... However, I think we have to do better in terms of how we regulate food sure. and how we differentiate types of crops and how we differentiate even when we look at my own area, which is uh, focused on food and food supplements. You know, the quality supplements need to need to um, be able to provide, um, you know, stability testing, quality testing so the consumer 
when he or she is purchasing food or food supplements that they know they're getting the highest possible quality ingredient when they put it on their plate. The a couple of things you mentioned there made me think that essentially we're talking, are we talking about biodiversity here when people say that we're losing biodiversity um, just in terms of uh, plants growing that can produce carotenoids that aren't intensively farmed. Uh, that's part of the picture. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. If you, if you intensely farm and add pesticides and make it easy for the plant to grow, the plant will grow, but it won't produce as much lutein in the plant as, as it would if it was basically left to its own devices. In a nutshell, that's it. Okay. And then considering what we have learned, particularly uh, around your area of expertise around the eye and, and how we can apply certain carotenoids to preventing maybe um, yeah. eyesight loss in, in our later years, is there then a practical way of applying this or does it go all the way back to what we're doing at source with how we're living and how we are producing food? Yeah, and I think in the first instance, you know, we say, okay, I, I see with my own family, I have two young kids, I have a, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I only spoke to my wife yesterday, about, you know, how, about how difficult it is to get the right types of food on the plate. When, when we look at breakfast, for example, I find that the most challenging actually okay. uh, with, with kids. It's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Um, and even when I know the foods they should be eating, we're, we're waking up at seven o'clock for a, a, an eight o'clock school run and you're on the clock, right? And then you have to try and get something that they can get food and you know, difficult to get the, those health. So eggs are a great, great way to do that, by the way. I, I'd be a big promoter of egg nutrition okay. and what that does for us. Um, but yeah, we have to go back to source in the first instance. I suppose what our research has shown is that in addition to doing your best with, you know, consuming the healthy foods, um, in addition to doing that, you know, we, we need to look at in certain situations where people are at risk of diseases like macular degeneration, the value of high quality food supplements, which is basically say, what we're saying there is that we can concentrate uh, high amounts of these protective micronutrients. Um, we can concentrate them in a way that you can, in addition to your good foods, you can get them in, in a supplement essentially by extracting them from the marigold flowers. So for the diseases like macular degeneration, we now know it's well established that um, if you take lutein, zeaxanthin and mesozeaxanthin, if you take that combination, you can rebuild protective pigments in the back of the eye that lower your risk of developing that age-related blinding condition. Okay. And even we've done in our own experiments, when we have people with that condition and you um, enrich their pigment, mac protective macular pigments, their eye pigments with these carotenoids, you can actually improve their vision in real time. So it's quite remarkable what we've been able to demonstrate in our time of science. Um, but it all connects back to food, uh, sustainability, uh, quality, um, and, and education around all of that, educating the consumer, educating the doctor, you know, educating the industries. And one of the things we want to do here at the Nutrition Research Centre in Ireland is, is work even with government and policy and the Food Safety Authority in Ireland because uh, I think there's a lot more we can do uh, beyond what currently happens in terms of just talking about you know, is the label correct? Are you over claiming something on a product versus yeah. actually, you know, is the product good? Does it have the right amount of nutrients? Are they stable? These are the new questions that the consumer um, deserves to have answered. The 
food industry and sustainability are all like mm. hugely embedded existing structures that might be hard to turn around in certain respects. <laughs> but <laughs> by the same token, it sounds like you'd be accepting of, of the practical benefits of getting supplements to people and, and, and that they can step in in terms of um, giving us what we need. Do you have any concerns about the supplement industry and, and how that's kind of yeah. regulated and balanced because yeah. there's just so much going on with it? But like if, if there were really no concerns what, about yeah. the marketing, mm-hmm. you would be happy for us to, to find our way to better health through supplements? Certain supplements, you know, again, there's an expression, supplements are snake oil and what works and, you know, is it worth taking and, and there's lots that there isn't that we don't need to take that we can get from good quality foods. You know, there's lots of micronutrients that we should be trying to get from 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 normal foods. But there's certain foods like the, the certain um, antioxidants and protective pigments like the carotenoids, which we just can't get enough of from certain foods. Um, I do have a I do have a massive, um, I suppose, appetite no pun intended, to to work with policy in terms of helping policy and policy makers, you know, understand where we should be making available food and food supplements to certain population groups. You know, it, it is no question that if you have people with macular degeneration that taking the, the supplements that we've tested in, in our facility will lower the risk of going blind and with, with, with a great benefit to the patient, but also a great benefit to the economy of Ireland, you know, the cost of blindness is massive. We can't afford it as, as we, you add that now to dementia. You know, if we were to provide certain micronutrients to this population group and, when, you know, when they're living with disease or even better pre-disease, you're going to have a major impact. But if we're to be very honest, you know, and your, your listeners will, you know, those who are dealing with diseases like macular degeneration will understand this when I say it. You know, current health care waits until we have to deal with a chronic issue, until you have a blinding condition. And then they try and apply what they call standard of care, which is, well, let's use a pharmaceutical treatment drug. I call that health 2.0. But we need to move, we need to, move to health 3.0, where food and food supplements have a major role to play, which is getting in front of those diseases and using the preventative techniques with food, food supplements and, and, and technologies where we can now even measure these carotenoids, for example, in skin. So we can identify who's low, who's high. There's a lot we can do to have a positive impact in our time. But it's not without its challenges, because as you suggest, it's very difficult to try and change what happens from a policy perspective. Professor John Nolan on healthy food there. Big thanks to him for taking part in Health and Fitness. Next, Cameron Clark has your fitness-focused Christmas wish list. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. Joining us on Health and Fitness this evening, fresh from the newsroom, is Cameron Clark. Cameron, thanks for coming in to us. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'm going to give our listeners a bit of an insight now. Uh, Cameron has repeatedly pitched his uh, presence on the Health and Fitness programme uh, to talk about how much of a unit he is. That's uh, right. And uh, that's not why we brought you in today, unfortunately. Well, I'm, I'm out of here. No, come on. Come on now. It is the season. Tis the season, and uh, to be a unit, to, God Almighty, yes, you're a unit. We've got it on the airwaves. Finally, well done. How does one become a unit? Maybe, maybe there's some fitness gadgets and gifts that uh, our listeners might be able to pick up uh, in their journey towards that destination, or indeed um, 
for a handy gift that they're looking to get someone that they love or care about? Well, thankfully, David, I have a number of items here that are actually suited for us last minute shoppers. All right, kick us off. Yeah, lazy gifts. And I'm going to start with the laziest, but also arguably the best one of them all. Mm -hmm. A gym membership. Yeah, doesn't get Doesn't get much easier than that. You know, if the person you're buying the gift for already has a membership, go down to wherever they work out or run, give them three months, six months, a year. It's usually a tedious thing to pay for something like the gym, not something you're overly enthused about. It's a great gift. You know, you can do it the day before Christmas Eve, because man, you'll probably be closed on Christmas Eve. But, you know, maybe get a bit creative about it. Um, my, my partner did it for me for my birthday last year. Yeah, She got me a year gym membership and she went on to Photoshop and just did up a small little certificate to say, you know, this is this to certify you have a one-year membership at this gym for 12 months. Oh, that's nice because, like, ultimately, you mightn't actually have something physical to give the person. You might uh, have an email. Yeah. That's it. So, you yeah. know, if you want to have something physical, you know, you pop it in an envelope, you can hand it over. It kind of, I know a lot of people can be a bit weirder about not being able to physically hand somebody a, a Christmas gift. Hmm. This gets around that. No, it's a good idea and it's nice and tidy and it takes care of, as you say, a kind of massive life inconvenience in sorting these kind of membership things. Exactly. And it kind of fits around every sort of budget. You know, you can get a month long membership if it's expensive. Some gyms can be 50, 60 quid. You're going to get the deals every time you go for three, six or a year. So fit into your own budget, get them as long as you think. I think there's maybe one thing to remember specifically about getting a gym membership. Mm. Don't get it to pressure your partner into working out. <laughs> you you know, like yeah. don't don't grab this three month membership and say, "Oh, hey, I got you this. You need you, to get you in shape." You have to use it now. <laughs> but you know, if they've talked about it before and say, "Oh, I just don't know if I can afford it," or you know, I don't really want to put the money into putting that sort of time into something you can kind of kickstart them that way. I like the idea of, of someone who already has one and just topping it up for them. Exactly. You can't go yeah. wrong in that it's regard. It's such a, like when Kira did it for me in April, I loved it. It's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten because it takes such an inconvenience out of my life for a year. Yeah. That I just don't have to worry about it. Okay, what's next? Next, um, a little bit more thoughtful, but again, also pretty easy. You can probably walk into any sports shop and do this one. Mm. A gym goodie bag. Well, what's that? So the first thing, a gym bag. Relatively easy. You What's know. a gym bag? Just it's a sizable enough bag, you know, that you can put in like a pair of shoes because most people won't wear their gym shoes out on the tarmac because it's usually quite bad for them. Uh, um, a towel. Yeah. Um, you know, if anyone wears lifting gear like knee straps, um, elbow pads, wrist pads. It's a sports bag. Exactly. Kind of one strap over the shoulder job. Exactly. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and you know, you fill then you can fill it with the things we just talked about Mm -hmm. to kind of make it, you know, that little bit more creative. Like a goodie bag you'd get when you were a kid. Oh, right, yeah. So you know that you can put a bit of thought behind it, but again, it's something you can easily do. Okay. Um, Yeah, I like that idea, actually. Um, Let's move on to the next before we take a breather. Okay. Um, Supplements. Ah. This is more particular for people who lift weights. We've just spoken about supplements on health and fitness. Um, it's timely that you've brought this up. So um, supplements are a massive part of gym going culture, obviously. Yeah, I would say the supplements one is a little bit more of a difficult gift to get mm. because You'd- the protein powder, you can pretty much get that for anybody. You know, there's not going to be any real discussion that needs to be had before getting protein powder. But if you're looking into, say, the likes of getting um, creatine or pre-workout, you know, if the person you're buying the gift for doesn't already take those supplements, they may not be comfortable 
taking them to begin with. For sure. So it's it's one, I think you're safe with protein powder. Do you use protein powder? I use protein powder. Yeah, and I use creatine and I use pre-workout. Okay. So what does the protein powder do for you? If people are listening at home and they're like, well, maybe my partner would like that, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So I, I suppose to summarize it in as short a way as possible, it helps you build muscle. Okay. Um, you know, you'll usually take it after you've worked out. Some people take it beforehand. I personally take it afterwards. It helps you build muscle, but it also helps your muscles regenerate. So when you've worked out and exercised, uh, your muscles are basically knitting back together That's after right. being kind of slightly torn through the exercise. And these, the, this, this protein powder helps that 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 phase that that um, repairing. Yeah. So you'll you'll hear a lot of talk about this golden window after you've worked out for, you know, getting in your protein, it's not overly real. You know, you probably should be taking a protein shake or some sort of food an hour after you've worked out, but it's not the end of the world if you don't. But Mm -hmm. that is the time, you know, if you have a protein, if you have protein powder there, throw it into a shaker with some water. I use milk because it tastes nicer. Throw it in and just drink away. So is it like bad if you eat bad stuff uh, shortly after exercise when when your body needs it most? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't advise it, you know, you're kind of defeating the, the purpose of the good work you've just it's put so in. It's so satisfying, though. It really is. No, no, and I am, I'm victim to it myself. There have been many a time where I have walked out of the gym and into a chipper. Yeah, oh, it's, it's great. Anyway, don't do it, but it's great. Um, what about creatine? Because like, a friend of mine actually took this up recently, and I just remember going to a rugby playing school and this being a stigmatized supplement uh, because there was a lot of urban myths around it being bad for you or, or whatever. Well, yeah, how do so you I, find it? I think the stigma around almost all supplements now for the gym, with the exception of obviously, you know, your steroids and all, is gone. Particularly with creatine. I think over the last five or six years, people have really put some research into that to show that, you know, it doesn't maybe follow the myths that have been put in place. Mm. So what creatine essentially does is it helps you retain water. And again, it's similar to protein, helps you gain muscle. But I think where the problem with creatine is, is when you first start to take it, you will need to use the bathroom an awful lot. And I mean far more than you'll ever have to use in your life for probably about a week, depending on how you take it. Fascinating. Yeah. um, So, you know, for a lot of people that might freak you out, particularly if you're not looking into it beforehand. And, you know, you start throwing this little scoop of powder into, into a glass of water or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're peeing six, seven, eight times a day. To the uninitiated, maybe we'll go with the protein powder as the gift idea. I think so, yeah. Unless you know they take it, the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. you know, and again, look at what they take, the brand, the type, go with that. Okay, well, Cameron's doing a great job for a big gym here uh, in terms of <laughs> uh, Christmas gift ideas. Uh, we're going to take a breather and when he returns, we'll be looking at uh, a number of items, uh, some interesting uh, kind of off the beaten track ideas and some classics as well. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods. The Offaly Hospice Mile is one of the many great events happening across the Midlands over Christmas for a great cause. And you're going to learn all about it a little bit later in the programme. Right now, Cameron Clark is in with me on Health and Fitness. Uh, Cameron, we are talking about Christmas gift ideas. Uh, We have covered gym membership. We've uh, covered a a bit of gym gear, like a goodie bag. And uh, if if your partner is really into gym life and so on, 
uh, there's the supplements route that we could go down as well. Uh, what else have you worked on for us this evening? So I think another fairly straightforward one and one that, you know, if you're doing your Christmas shopping late it is easy is gym clothes. And more specifically, I want to touch on an item of clothing called a pump cover. A what? A pump cover. So these have really, like the last two, three years, these have really gotten popular. What it basically is, is a large top that goes over a t-shirt that you're working out in. A large top that goes over a t-shirt that you're working out in. So let's say, okay, the majority of people that are in the gym, if they're running, if they're lifting weights, you know, they're wearing some sort of a tight item of clothing, you know, like a sports top. Sure. Like your your half zips, your... um, Base layers. Yes, that sort of thing. A pump cover is something that goes over that. It's usually far larger than the, the size of clothing you'd be used to wearing. And what it actually stems from is when you're working out, more specifically lifting weights, but it does happen when you're running, it will happen with your legs as well. Your body will start to, obviously, let's say you're working out your biceps. Your biceps will be larger when you're working them out because they're what's called being pumped. So your veins will start to pop a bit more. Your muscles will be slightly larger they'll be more toned for a period of time after you've worked them out. So what this does is, let's say, we'll stick with the biceps. Okay, you're going in, you've got a small t-shirt on, a pump cover is a large, either baggy t-shirt or baggy hoodie or baggy long sleeve shirt you throw over that that you use to hide, say, your biceps, your forearms, until they're worked out. And then when you take them off, obviously you look like you're in absolutely fantastic shape. What what's the idea behind hiding them? You don't want people to see your engorged limbs. It's more a personal thing that you know you because you don't notice it. You don't notice the pump coming in as you're working out, especially if you're looking in a mirror. You only notice it from say when you're not pumped until you're pumped. So it 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 helps to kind of you know it's a, a confidence booster. You see what you look like before you put this top on, uh, and then when the next time you take it off, you're pumped. You look really good. Okay, okay, okay. I can I can see what that's about, and I understand. And I much appreciate you coming in because you've educated me massively on gym culture at this point. And uh, I know you've got a number of other items that you've been researching and bringing uh, to our attention for this evening. So what's next? Next, we will stick with, I suppose, an item clothing shoes. Relatively straightforward. Everyone needs them. Everyone needs them. Um, so I've just brought in a couple of suggestions, not physically in the studio, oh, okay. but I'll run you through them. Um, so we'll start with running shoes. Um, I know you know you tend to run. Do you have any particular kind of shoes you like to run in? We're finally in an area where I know something. This yeah. is great. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 um, I took a, a running gait analysis test that you can do in a, a specific sports store. Every one of their branches does so, but they haven't paid us for the privilege of the recognition, <laughs> so I'm not going to mention them. Um, but yeah, so I slightly overpronate on my run, which means that my foot uh, folds in or my leg pulls in a bit, so I need a, a stable running shoe. So anything with a, a stable heel on the instep is me sorted and... Um, yeah, for years I've gone with the Asics brand, but uh, I think for my next pair, just out of curiosity, I'll go for a stable version of one of the other brands um, because there's obviously bajillions of them out there. Um, so that's that's typically the way I would go. And that's a very specific thing, obviously, though. Well, I'd maybe recommend that everybody go and do that specific de- test in that specific store David is talking about. But if you're too lazy and don't want to do that, I do have some recommendations. Okay. Just based on some research I've done and... 
some running that I've also done in the past. I don't really run anymore because I've gotten lazy. Um, we'll start with the Nike Invincibles. Um, then, you know, Nike, there's a reason they're such a popular brand for runners is they work. Mm. So I know you mentioned ASICs also very strong. I think Skechers have some very strong runners as well. I've personally never worn any, so I can't test them. Um, but the Nike Invincibles are very good. Nike Pegasus and Nike Vaporfly. You'll see Cristiano Ronaldo use a boot version of the Vaporfly an awful lot. Oh, this is a very well-known uh, yeah. uh, Vaporfly. They're great. Well known, yeah. um, I, I had a conversation with a few of my running friends. They Every single one of them, all four of them, wear Vaporflies and they swear by them. Yeah. So there may be a way to go. Um, and Puma also have a fairly common running shoe called the Puma Magnify. Um, now, I'm not overly familiar with Pumas. Again, I don't wear them all that often, but they're quite good. Okay. So there's a few running shoes there. You know, you can take off. Now, the problem with shoes, particularly if you're buying them for men, shoes are not cheap. True. Um, so this is one, you know, if you're looking to spend a bit more money. And you don't have their foot with you when you shop for them. Yeah, it's it's definitely a gift that you need to know. First of all, their shoe size. And yeah, you need to be you need to be willing to fork out a little bit more money. Or if you're or if you're in a relationship where you kind of just take a personal inventory with the person in November, go what do you want, what do you need. Oh, this would be nice. Well, well, what's the story with your shoe there? What the, the foot size and all that? So this can be figured out. And maybe um, surprises don't need to be the order of the day. But the, those are some of the uh, high end options of footwear for, exactly. for for working out and running and that. Exactly. And look, if if the person you're buying a gift for prefers to lift weights, there are shoes specified for that uh, the biggest one you'll see almost everyone wearing them is they're called Nike Metcons they're kind of known as a lifting shoe you know they're sturdy for the likes of squatting mm. so your foot's not going to pop out of the shoe okay okay Nike or as I would call them Nike Metcons yeah I call them Nike okay and then Converse are also very popular I personally wouldn't go down that route. They have no foot support. No. <laughs> but you will see a lot of people in the gym wearing them. Really? So, yeah, if your partner is into, you know, the trendy stuff, mm. you may want to go that way. Okay. Well, Cameron Clark, you have done sterling work in putting this together for us. And I wish you a very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. Now, Christmas time is, of course, uh, a season for a celebration. It's a time to spend with our families. Uh, but for many, it's often times of reflection. And it's also a time for generosity. And I think it's in those spirits uh, that we bring our next uh, conversation to the fore. Uh, Professor Humphrey O'Connor is the chair of Offaly Hospice Foundation. And uh, he joins us on Health and Fitness this evening to talk about the Hospice Christmas Mile. Uh, it's an event that takes place in conjunction with the Tullamore Harriers here in Offaly and very much in aid of Offaly Hospice Foundation. Uh, Professor Humphrey, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this evening. Delighted to David, delighted to. Thanks um, indeed. Not at all. In relation to the event itself, you might talk us through what actually happens on the day. Yeah, um, at 10 o'clock on Christmas morning, the crowds begin to gather in the Tullamore Harriers here on the Childhood Road in Tullamore. And um, it's a great event. It's, it's, it's part of the Christmas day in Tullamore and has been for several years. And uh, it goes on for two hours or so, uh, where... People walk four laps of the Tartan track in the Harriers uh, and give extremely generously um, to Offaly Hospice Foundation to help provide palliative care services here locally and in the Midlands. 
Um, so 10 o'clock, people begin to gather. Steady stream of people throughout that hour. And then for those who are inclined, David, uh, there's a proper mile race at 11 o'clock or so. Uh, no, you and I, well, you might be, but I, the rest <laughs> of us don't participate in that. But, um, and uh, there's great fun. There's a great sense of happiness and, and uh, it, it sets off the Christmas morning. It might be sacrificial for some, but it, it does, for many people, it's the beginning of Christmas Day, quite yeah. apart from church services or whatever else. And it's become uh, it's become synonymous with Christmas morning in Tullamore. And great to have it, honest to God. That's a great point that you make about the actual action of going out on Christmas morning and doing something in the sense of uh, community <laughs> yeah. uh, really does mm. um, bring the, the, the most human parts of Christmas uh, to the fore ahead of what is obviously um, a big day for everyone in the calendar. Mm, it is, absolutely. Um, we're very lucky, uh, our Hospice Foundation are very lucky to have uh, Tomor Harris as uh, the, fun, uh, the group who are fundraising in that way. I mean, they have a, a, a national name in terms of their integrity for health well, uh, wellness, uh, competition, they're just, they're, they're, people think of Tullamore, they think of Tullamore Harriers, and they're great doers, they, they don't talk much about what they do, they just do it, and uh, I won't name names, but mm. there are some superb people here who who make it happen, and um, uh, we, we're there to support, uh, we, uh, we put up emblems and and give out free calendars and sweets and things like that. But it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's become uh, one of those annual fundraising events that we really are so happy with. And uh, it generates a, a, a very substantial sum of money, okay. uh, five figures many times. Uh, and um, it, 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 it rolls over year after year. God, it comes around so quickly. But it, it's, it's, uh, it's, we're very happy to be associated with it. Uh, because uh, Tullamore Harris is, uh, as I say, identified with health, uh, wellness, quality of life, those sort of things, David. The event and the reason that it occurs, let's say, or its objective is to uh, support mm. Offaly Hospice, uh, the foundation. How does this translate from the money raised and people's generosity on the day uh, to the actual actions on the ground yeah. that enable people uh, to engage with palliative care in the Midlands? Absolutely. I mean, interesting, we were looking at what we have spent uh, on the the community service over the past five years. And we have a memorandum of agreement with the health service executive, with the HSE. We partner with them to provide money to primarily uh, build up the community-based service. And, And over the past five years, we have donated 504,000 euros, just over a half a million euros wow. of, of, yeah, it, it's, a, it's only when you, when you tot it up. And that's, uh, what, what, what is the MOU, the Memorandum of Agreement? Uh, we, we, we speak to the HSE team and they say, well, we need a social worker, bereavement counselling, uh, occupational therapist, some complementary therapies, a secretary for the office. It's a thing like that. It sounds like very basic, but the provision of palliative care is is teamwork and integration. When you think of their different elements to it, 
the community-based service. Where do you want to be at home? You want to be at home when you're sick, and particularly in this setting where um, you're dealing with life-limiting illness. And the irony is you're not going to get better. And so the, 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 the issues of care are very different to what would happen if somebody had a gastrointestinal illness or a respiratory infection or something. You know you're going to get better uh, in this setting. You're dealing in a, in, a, in a very much more difficult, sensitive sphere and the quality of life of the patient and their families. So there's the community-based service. There's part of the service in the acute hospitals. There, there's a day service, as there should be. And ultimately, uh, there's going to be a Midland Regional Hospice, uh, which will be sited here in Tullamore. And just think of those four elements, David. And uh, we've we've to support all of them in different ways to make the service as good as possible. I suppose the main monies we're generating at the moment are going towards the community home-based service. In other words, um, there's, there's community service for Leach and Offaly, mm. there's community service for Westmead and Longford. And uh, Leach and ourselves, uh, we support in the same way what happens in the community here in the two counties. And it's worth saying as well that the, the groups, uh, ourselves, Leash, the two Westmeads and Longford, uh, are on the same page. And it's, it's just to mention that last week, uh, the groups got together and we, we've formed the Midland Palliative Care Alliance, the Midland Palliative Care okay. Alliance, to again further the idea that these, these voluntary support organisations, the five hospice groups, are essential uh, to to supporting the service. Um, and, and you might say, well, taxpayers' money and the HSC should be doing all of that, but um, it, it, that hasn't happened. And um, the, the voluntary efforts made by ourselves and the other hospice groups are, are fundamental to, to the quality of the service. Mm. And uh, it's the quality of the service that matters. The, what's the patient reported outcome? What do they feel? Are they getting what they should? Is the level of care at different levels, uh, what they need, etc. Humphrey, you mentioned that an issue I actually was going to touch on in any case, which is that Uh maybe listeners might feel that uh, as taxpayers, this should be part of the tax regime that we pay that supports uh, hospice services in a more comprehensive fashion through the HSE. Is that a perspective Mm -hmm. that you would have? Would you like to see the state doing more in this? Because there is phenomenal work done in the community, but then there's the other side of the equation, I suppose. Not necessarily. I think um, I think to give the service a sense of local ownership, yeah. that we we believe in it, we like it, and and I think David, for you or I, who probably have never been touched by that particular need, it's only when you talk to uh, the families, the relatives uh, left behind from somebody who has died and gone through that service, you realise seriously what it means to them. Um, we have a remembrance Good Friday walk every year uh, and and we meet uh, the relatives and families of, of people who've been through the service and uh, universal praise and thanks for it. So, I mean, this is what the Harrier's uh, Christmas morning walk um, ultimately becomes. And uh, it, it, it's, and as I say, for that and and other fundraising events through the year, we're really that's what sustains us. That's and and 
Um, we're volunteers. Uh, there's, there's, there's no other handbacks to anybody. It's simply what's, what's fundraised is given over and used. And that collaboration between uh, our, our volunteers and the HSE is very good and has to continue and, 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 and remain like that because I think on that, uh, you, you'll get the sort of service that people deserve, quite honestly. The nature of hospice work, it must have mm-hmm. a fundamental effect on those who actually either volunteer with the services or work with the services, as you described there, engaging with families who have a loved one going through palliative mm-hmm. care. It's a side of humanity that very few of us can get our head around unless we, we were, were in close proximity. I think that's right. I mean, it, it certainly is unique as a medical specialty in terms of of, of the elements to it, uh, because the adjective holistic, which uh, is the term to describe uh, the total person, uh, the physical, the psychological, the, the spiritual, the legal, the uh, the financial, uh, and. Uh, all those elements uh, uh, come into the mix in terms of the care of patients. I'm not a palliative care specialist, but I've seen plenty over the last, as a, as a, as a consultant physician for 33 years mm. at the coalface of acute medical care. I, I've seen plenty of situations um, that, that pertain to palliative care. And I have a huge respect for it as, as, uh, as, um, as a medical activity, I must be honest. Um, so it's a teamwork, a holistic approach. Think of the whole patient. I mean, just one other thing mm. in relation to what we spend money on. Okay, I mean, I've mentioned about the memorandum of agreement with the HSC, but from time to time, uh, the say, for instance, the social workers uh, working in the Lee community team would would uh, give us notice that some family are in real trouble, and we would uh, these so-called hardship cases crop up from time to time, then we would, we would help out uh, with, with a, a financial donation and so on. I'd, and I don't feel, feel sorry for saying that because I think uh, it's, it's simply uh, handing over, doing what the money is intended for. Okay. Uh, so it's a, it seems a long way from Christmas morning in the Harriers, uh, which is a very joyous, it's a fantastic occasion. Well, they crowd. feel very di- different and distant, the concepts we're talking about, the Christmas morning uh-huh. event and, and the actual frontline yeah. care. Uh, they are a part of the same story. And, um, they are. And, and, and this event obviously is is uh, a crucial supporter of of those frontline services. Humphrey, oh, you yeah. might um, you mm. might tell us then uh, people who are listening who maybe want to get involved on Christmas morning, uh, they can they can just show up and take part and uh, or can they, can. They can they can donate online beforehand as well? Can they? I, I know that Mary Daly uh, has uh, who's a great organizer. Yes, has um, a, 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 I think it's called I donate online. Yes. I, I'm not a great tech person, David. Promise to God. So uh, there's that. Uh, for some who mightn't be able to physically make it on the morning uh, and by all means donate in that way uh, but equally it's the, it's the presence of the people uh, and, and coming in their Christmas outfits, the hats, the, <laughs> uh, the, the gear, uh, the children, the, the buggies, the occasional dog that comes along. I mean, and I meet the, I, I, you meet the neighbours, you meet the, the friends, you mm. meet all manner of people, and it's, it's really it's it's 
it's a great event, honest to God. Well, that is the Hospice Christmas Mile taking place mm. at the Tullamore Harriers on Christmas morning and uh, a great cause that uh, can greatly do with further support. Uh, Professor Humphrey O'Connor is the chair of Offaly Hospice Foundation. Uh, big thanks to you for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. Delighted to, David. Delighted to do it. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, I've got um, the page open now. If you search I Donate Tullamore Harriers Hospice Mile, uh, you will be able to uh, get involved and support what is a great cause. Uh, big thanks to uh, Dr. Humphrey who took his uh, time to talk to us on the programme and uh, big thanks to all of our guests on Health and Fitness, John Nolan from the uh, Nutrition Research Centre, the director and the founder indeed, and Cameron Clark who uh, brought us a great detail of some gym products that you can uh, use uh, to knock off the Christmas wish list. Joe Cooney is next with Country Roads after the news.